Hi, you're listening to the Inside Family Law Podcast, um, and this is Zoe Durand. I'm your interviewer. I'm very lucky to be here today with a woman who probably barely needs any introduction beyond her name, Kerry Chikorovsky. Oh, thank you for coming in to see me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, look, Kerry, obviously, I mean, as I said, your household name, everyone would know who you are. <laughs> not quite, but yeah, that's very I, kind of you. I'd say so, I'd say so. Look, I, I'm not even that aware, up on politics, and even I know who you are. Um, so, I guess, I mean, rather than, I guess, going through your whole career history, I'd like to sort of focus on your work with Our Watch mm-hmm. and what sort of led you to do that work and what drew you to do that work that you're currently doing. So Our Watch is a national body joined by all the states and the federal government, uh, has members from every state, and its main purpose is to prevent violence against women and their children. And the reason I'm involved was firstly because I was asked by the federal government, by Scott Morrison actually as the minister, to be a director of the organisation. And secondly, my own personal um, experience of having been a politician and worked with a lot of women who perhaps people wouldn't regard normally as victims of domestic violence, mm-hmm. given the fact that I represented a very pretty well, very wealthy area, more doctors and lawyers in my electorate than any other electorate in the country. Um, so people wouldn't have thought that I would have much experience in this space, but I did, mm-hmm. um, working with those women. I had a refuge in my electorate, came close to the people in the refuge. So um, I was a member of parliament a very long time ago and it seemed to me that um, we hadn't made a lot of progress in this Mm. space Mm. over the 25 years Mm -hmm. uh, that I'd been involved in it. So the opportunity came and I was very pleased to be able to say to um, Minister Morrison at the time that I I would most willingly accept that position. So, sorry, just to backtrack a bit, I mean, you've said, obviously, you've seen things in, in your electorate, people wouldn't associate mm. that with wealthy people or mm. whatever, but you had seen a lot of, and you said people wouldn't always maybe even understand that they were suffering from family violence, I found so, that interesting. So, yeah, so, I mean, the, the position, I think we've now evolved a lot further than, you know, 25 years ago, and we now understand that um, abuse of women can occur in a number of ways. Mm. So, abuse can be physical. Clearly, physical is the worst kind, and it's the most dangerous kind. But abuse occurs in all sorts of other ways as well. And in my electorate in particular, uh, a lot of the abuse was emotional, and it was financial, and it was threatening. And I think the saddest case was the woman who came in to see me, who clearly had been physically abused as well, because she was wearing long sleeves in the middle of summer. Um, But her biggest concern was that if she left her husband, uh, she wouldn't be able to afford to send her children to private school. Mm. And her husband kept on saying to her, well, I'm not going to pay and they will hate you forever when they have to be pulled out of private schools and lose their friends. So there are all sorts of ways that women can be abused. So she stayed in that relationship um, because she didn't want to disappoint her children. Um, Mm. And I just think that, you know, as I said, we've come a long way. So we now know that people can be abused, both physically, clearly, but also where they get to the stage where they're so personally belittled um, in their own self that they don't believe that they can leave, they can't go and get a job. And I mean, I'm talking about women in my electorate in particular who actually had had professional careers. But they had been so demeaned by their partners that mm, the they psychological didn't, abuse. They yeah. absolutely they didn't believe that they could leave um, because leaving would mean that they'd end up in you know poverty, but not only for them but for their children. And I think that sort of controlling is we've now recognised is abuse as well. 
I mean, the thing is often, if there is that physical violence going on, there's a number of things going on. There is psychological often as well. It would mm -hmm. be, you wouldn't just have the physical usually without the psychological. Yep. So it's all tied up together often. Um, so what are some of the things that, that our watch are doing um, in relation to family violence or domestic violence, any practical work and programs? So our watch is basically a prevention-based organisation. Um, we have a very simple view in some ways is that if you respect one another, men and women, boys and girls respect one another, then they w won't uh, be involved in abuse of any sort. Mm -hmm. So we're very much about prevention. Our work is all um, evidence-based, mm -hmm. so we run a number of campaigns which we are um, aiming at various you know, cohorts within the community. We have a particular emphasis on young people, children and young people, young adult men in particular, because we believe that if we can get the respectful relationships going there from an early age, then they carry through through their lifetime. So we work with schools. We've developed um, with other, you know, with um, other organisation respectful relationships programs, which are being delivered in schools. We run public awareness programs. We run a program called the Line, which is directed at teenagers and young twenties men. And we've had other campaigns, all of which are about the concept of respect because it's not respectful to say, oh, you throw like a girl. It's not respectful mm. to say, girls can't do that. It's not respectful to say, well, what would you know, you're only a girl. Mm. All that language is as demeaning and, and denigrating and difficult as other forms of, um, of abuse. So what we're trying to do is say, start early, get them under control, get them to understand that, you know, girls can do anything, boys can do anything, and they can do them together and have those much more respectful relationships as they grow up. I mean, mm -hmm. I find it intriguing that um, when I was you know, a young thing at school, we used to have programs which said girls can do anything. We're still talking about doing that, you know, 40, well, God, 50 years later, we're still talking about doing that. So we need to get that message through. And I actually use the example of, it's like anti-smoking campaigns. It took a very long time for people to understand that smoking wasn't good for you. Seatbelt campaigns, you needed to wear seatbelts. So I think we're doing the same. This is not something that's going to change in one, two or three years. It's going to take generational change and that's why we're working towards it. Mm. I mean, one thing I, I think is interesting is that I do feel that the main change I see is that people are actually talking about this. I think mm -hmm. before it was more behind closed doors. That's in the private sphere, we mm -hmm. won't talk about that. I think now there's a lot of discussion about it. Um, but I think I agree with you that the actual like I mean, I'm I'm impatient for the cha real yeah. change. You know, for the, when's it really going to change? And I think, um, you know, and you and I were discussing this a bit before that there are some sort of deeper with stuff we've got to sweat out as a country. Mm -hmm. Deeper gender issues, you sure. know, with the way men and women see each other or sure. way we see women. Um, you know, as I was saying, some some people sort of don't like to talk too much about the gendered aspect mm -hmm. or the gendered pattern in family violence, and that is something I did want to ask you about. So, are there any statistics on that? Or? Uh, well, clearly, um, more women. Well, if you just look at the worst statistic, women there is almost one woman a week who dies at the hands of a partner or a former partner. So there is clearly a problem with male violence towards women. Yeah. There is, there are occasions where women are violent towards men, sure. but statistically, it's overwhelmingly the other way around. And it's that what we that we need to address. We need to actually make men and boys understand that violence is never a solution. Mm. But again, as I said earlier, that respect is part of the solution. And certainly. 
you know, looking at things like our institutions and making sure that, for example, our parliament is better represented in terms of gender equity. And we're getting there. And I and I put my hand up. I'm on the side of the uh, of the chamber, which is probably slower at it than the Labor Party. But we are getting there. So we need to have our institutions um, work with you know, organisations like our watch to ensure that within their own within their own workforce respect becomes the norm mm. and we are we're working with a number of organizations we work with a number of corporates we work with sporting organizations and we are about addressing the the gender inequity in terms of you know opportunity and and um, allowing people to express themselves and get become forward and become much more much more I think loud if you like about these issues and talk about them within their workplaces. And I think that's one of the big issues that we have seen change in. You're right, people are talking about it more. Mm. But it's also not tolerated. I mean, before it was tolerated, what happened was people would say, as you said, oh, that's what's happening behind closed doors. Mm. Now we run campaigns, you know, which are, if you're a bystander and you see something, do something about it. Mm. You're better off calling the police than letting someone be damaged, hurt, maybe even die. So we're about getting people engaged within the community to make sure that they understand that they can be part of the solution. Mm. So what do you think, I mean, it's great that, as you said, that we are talking more about these issues. I mean, I think that is a positive. Um, but what are some of the, I guess, misconceptions that still sometimes are lurking around about family violence? Myths? Well, that it's a particular um, part of the society that's involved in it, and that's mm. just not true. I mean, every, every part of society, it's not confined to a particular religion. It's not confined to a particular socio-economic group. It's not confined to a particular parts of Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, or else. It is throughout our society. And the, the great change I think that we need to make is to acknowledge that anybody can be affected by this. And you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, as I said earlier, I had these incredibly intelligent, talented women who you would think would be able to stand up for themselves, who were completely intimidated by their partners. Mm. So we need to acknowledge that this is something that people can be subject to anywhere, anytime, and we need to put in place both the services to support people so that they can leave if they need to, but they also need to have you know, the, the greater preventative aspect, which is meant, as I said, that we don't do it in the first instance. And as attitudinal changes, which, as you were saying, is not going to happen in one, it's going to be, it's an ongoing, it's a worthy project, but it's an ongoing, it's going to take time. It's going to take time, attitudes. but I mean, it's interesting, you know, the, I think even within you know, the difference between my generation and my children's generation, there is certainly a much greater understanding amongst my children who are in their 30s about the appropriateness or inappropriateness of language. Mm. And so they're, they're starting to acknowledge that and they, you know, they're much more conscious of making, you know, not making those disparaging remarks. Mm. My son gets pulled up if he does. <laughs> not that he's, he's actually, he's actually pretty good He'll be listening it. to this now be like, Mom, what you uh, why, me? why are you putting me? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, because I, I brought them up that way. You know, mm. there, there is within, like within my own family, I, I was the eldest of four girls. Within my family, my parents didn't believe that girls could do one thing and boys could do another. They didn't have any boys to compare to. So we were all encouraged <laughs> to do whatever we wanted to do, including me being a politician. So I think there is, you know, there is change happening. Um, but we have to work and we have to constantly work at it to make sure it becomes entrenched within our society. Mm. It's so interesting what you say about how 
they, you would see these women and that they felt really trapped, you know, they had been sort of, there was the physical violence, sometimes not always, but then there was that psychological, the, the chipping away at them so they felt they couldn't leave or, you know, their children would be pulled out of private or whatever it was, you know, yep. there was always a, there's that sort of that mind get, that mind control yep. aspect to it. And, and I, I guess this leads into the next question, you know, sometimes I still see this kind of lurking around. I think it has improved, but some people are like, oh, why don't they just leave? Mm. You know, there is still that. I mean, in addition to that, is there anything else that you think that people, the one thing that you want people to get about family violence or domestic violence? Well, those? I think that it is, one, that it is preventative. Mm. This is actually something which is, you know, you can prevent family violence if mm. we have the right... Um, right attitudes, right, you know, conversations, all that sort of stuff. But I do think people need to understand that it is not just that. It's not that easy mm. just to it's leave. It's not that simple. It's not that easy just to leave. And we need to be tolerant of that. We need mm. to understand that. And we need to work out ways in which, for example, perhaps we can keep women safer in their own homes mm. and have the perpetrator leave. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure why the women are the mm. worst the ones to have to leave. And, and... You know, and, and often it is because it is too dangerous for them to stay for them and their children. And there are, I mean, I was up in uh, Armadale on one occasion and visited a refuge there and there was a woman there they introduced me to and she had come from parts of, you know, northern Victoria. Mm. And the reason she was in Armadale was because when she left, she had enough money to get petrol to get that far north. And I asked her why she had left. And she had said that her partner had come home and had offended by something that she'd done. So he had her up against the wall with a knife to her throat, but he was right next to the refrigerator. So he had, he was able to open the refrigerator and was opening cans of beer and drinking cans of beer and all the time standing there with a knife to her throat. And she said um, that, you know, he did that until such time that he had drunk so much beer he actually passed out at which stage she grabbed the kids grabbed her wallet you know didn't even grab any clothes just got in the car and started driving and she literally got to Armadale and was about to run out of petrol so she went to the local police station and they directed her to the refuge and I said that to her you know this is not the first time this has happened has it and he said no and I said so why have you stayed and she said because all I had was the money that I had in my wallet and this time I decided the best use of it was to get as far away as possible. But she said, I've got nothing, I've got no clothes, I've got no job, I've got no access to bank accounts because he controlled all those mm. and I'm in a refuge in Armadale, so what do I do now? And so, you know, we do need services as well. But people, I mean, that was an incredibly brave decision of her to go, mm. but she said, I couldn't put my life and my children's lives at risk anymore. Mm. But if it, you know, if you have to get to that stage before you can make a decision to go, that's really hard for women. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like you've obviously seen a lot, you know, through your work that you've done, and mm. and me in, in my role as a family lawyer, like I've seen things as well. I see those things that happen behind closed doors. Yeah. I don't see them. I hear about those things yeah. that happen behind closed doors. But sometimes I think if you're not exposed to that every day, like these sort of stories do come, like like people aren't aware. I mean, that could be happening in the house next door, but maybe they sure. don't know, you know, and it's. It is, I think, getting these stories out there yeah. um, is, is an important part of it as well. And a lot of it is that women don't want to admit it's happening to them because mm. they don't want to admit that they're not in control. Because mm. you know, that that's scary to admit. Totally, totally. So, but, I mean, I do think that the, the reporting numbers have gone up. There's been a significant change in police attitude. Mm. So the police now will, active, you know, will actively take um, out AVOs for women who, are, who find themselves in a situation where they're 
you know, they've been threatened, they go to the police or the police are called and then they pull back because they're not game enough to take the action yeah. themselves. So the police are doing that now. So I do think there's a lot of change happening mm. both within sort of certainly within the police services, within the profession, the legal profession, I think people are now starting to recognise that this is a major player in why people make decisions that they do. And, you know, I think as a community, we're, we're still we're saying we're not going to tolerate it. But I go back to that stat I started with. There's one woman a week who is murdered by a partner or a former partner, and we keep seeing it. So there's a long way to go. Mm, that there is a long way to go. I mean, is it... Is it really come back to misogyny? I mean, is that is this something that we have to work through in Australia? Like that we have maybe maybe this is where sometimes men who are listening might feel a bit defensive. You know that there is a problem in society, but maybe there is a problem. Well, I think more difficult. Yeah, I think there. I mean, I think it was. You know, you keep seeing articles which keep saying that women are slamming fifty percent of the population, and it's not fifty percent of the population who are involved in this in in this sort Mm. of behaviour, and that's true. Mm. But I think it's. But I think it's actually deeper than just people who are you know holding knives up against the throat of their exactly partner exactly that so, enable this yeah yeah so i think you know it is those small steps it is saying to your you know to your your um, sons and daughters um you know you, you need to be treated with respect again i keep using the word respect because it's important but you need to understand that girls and boys need to be brought up in a way which says we respect your differences but we also respect the fact that we are both able to you know, aim for and achieve whatever we want. And there's no categorization of, as I said, girls do this, boys do this. It is all about saying that when you talk to your sister, don't, you know, don't be rude You're to her. You're just a girl, you yeah, can't do all that. that sort of yeah. stuff. Don't, you know, don't do that. Understand that, you know, and I'm involved in women's rugby. Let me tell you, you know, women's rugby is a sport that um, a lot of people 10, 20 years ago would have said women can't play. Well, I can tell you now, my girls are damn good at it. You know, we won the gold medal in Rio, so they're good, they are very good at it. So don't just categorise people, say that that's what a girl and does. And place limitations on them. Don't yeah. do that. And make sure that when you as a parent are talking to your kids, you don't do that. And encourage your children you know, to, to be respectful to their, not only their family members, but the kids in class. You know, don't have boys say teasing nasty things to girls at school and think that's okay. It's not. And speaking of like children, I guess you know we've spoken about about women and being disproportionately affected by family violence. What yeah. are the effects on children who are exposed to family violence? I mean, that must be terrifying for them to grow up in. Uh, and and there is research that shows that that when that children who are in those situations are deeply affected by it. And so I think that's one of the reasons why women find it, you know. They, they eventually make a decision they've got to do something about it because they don't want their, particularly their sons growing up thinking that this is a way that women get treated. You know, if you're seeing your father um, bash your mother all the time, that cannot be good for your psyche. It, it's mm. not. So there is research around that which says it's, that's, that it needs to be addressed for the children as well, which is why we have our, as our mission, um, prevention of uh, violence against women and their children. Mm. And what do you think, I mean, just sort of tying it back in, I suppose, to I mean, for family law, and I know obviously, you know, you're not a practicing family <laughs> lawyer, but the reason I did want to speak to you is that I do feel that this is a major issue, and I, I for family lawyers, you know, mm. the family violence, domestic violence are major issues, and some sometimes it has been commented upon that we still have a way to go in the profession to really, like, get it. Yeah, and I, you know, this is a personal view, this is yeah. not an hour watch view at this stage. No, so, personal view. So my personal view is that um, people going through family law disputes, uh, it's difficult enough anyway. 
without the profession acknowledging the added trauma that domestic violence adds to those situations, it just makes it yet another legal process mm. that women are finding difficult to cope with. I do think that there is growing recognition from, particularly from you know, judges, mm -hmm. that um, domestic violence is a major contributor to family breakdown, it obviously is, yeah. and so they are starting to bring it into the court. My understanding is that they're actually starting to acknowledge it in the courts more than they did before, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. So I think, you know, judges, lawyers within the profession, acknowledging the trauma that this can cause, as you say, to both women and their children, and taking that into account, for example, in parenting decisions, um, I think that needs to be front and centre of a lot of the decision making in the family law court. Any other thoughts, I guess, about further like resourcing issues? Like, where do we need? I mean, you mentioned we do need resources. Is there anywhere that's urgently in either the family law sort of the space or other spaces outside of that where where resources are needed? So, I think the really significant change in the last several years is that governments have stepped up enormously in this space, mm -hmm. and so. Um, you know, we're, we're grateful to the federal government as an organisation, Our Watch, for increasing the funding for the prevention work. Mm -hmm. But the federal government announced the largest um, domestic violence package in history um, about th two months before the election. Over, um, I can't remember, I think it's over 300 million, but it's a significant amount of money. And it's all about both making sure that there are resources for, um, for services, but also for prevention. So. I, I, you know, we said we were talking about it a lot more. We're not only talking about it, governments are now acting upon it. Every state and territory mm -hmm. jurisdiction has funding available for domestic violence, both prevention and um, services. So we're seeing some innovative programs coming out of that. We're seeing ways in which women can stay, for example, safely in their homes. So all of that is, is on the table and it is because the community now are talking about it and saying they won't tolerate it. So all power to everybody out there who's been arguing about domestic violence and the need for it to be recognised as a significant social issue. All power to them for what they've been doing. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like there have been certain watershed moments, you know, in the past couple of years, like obviously Rosie Batty, well, certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Rosie, Rosie certainly um, brought it much to a much broader audience within the community. And I think it you know, rammed home the point that um, it's not just one part of the community that are affected by this. And for someone listening who, who might be experiencing violence or abuse, um, where should they, because I mean it is great there are so many resources but it can mm. be a bit overwhelming where to start, where do you think they should start perhaps? 1300 Respect is probably the first place if you're, particularly if you're in a critical situation, ring that number and they can direct you to the appropriate services. But to be perfectly honest, if you are in a critical situation, call the police. Mm. Call the police. The police are really well trained in this space now and they will respond very quickly. Mm. So, you know, if, if you are at risk, call Triple O and get the police and tell them why you're there, why you need them there. Um, but there are, as I said, beyond that, there are lots of other resources. There are lots of there are services, support services, there are you know, refuges, all those sorts of things, but start with 1300 Respect. And for anyone interested to do something to support Our Watch, they can just look up the website and... Well, there's we have a website and you'll find all our resources on there. Um, the way Our Watch works is that we actually commission research and develop programs from that. They are available. Um, we don't keep that all that work to ourselves, so 
organisations can work with us. So if you've got an organisation which is interested in working with us, contact Our Watch. Um, a lot of the corporates now are working with us, to, as I said, to, in, uh, to ensure that they have proper programs recognising domestic violence and the issues around it within their organisations because, you know, it, it, people need time off work, all those sorts of things. So, um, but it's also with those organisations working, making sure that their environment is that respectful environment. So, mm. as I said earlier, working with sporting organisations. So we have a lot of resources which are available. Um, if you're if you're inclined to make a donation, we have mm. a uh, we have a foundation which um, you can actually donate money to, which will help us continue in the work of prevention. You know, I would love to be able to say to you that in 20 years' time, when I've gone off to God, um, no, no. <laughs> there's a way. Yeah, that um, an organisation like Our Watch won't need to exist anymore because it will have achieved its outcome, and we will have a community in which every member of the community is valued, valued for who they are, what they contribute, how they work, you know, how, how their families all work. Everyone is valued in, within our community and you won't need to be talking about stopping violence against women and their children. All right, well, look, thank you so much, Kerry Chikorovsky. Um, you're listening to the Inside Family Law podcast. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today and you've been very, thank you for sharing your experiences and being very open um, with our listeners today. Thank you very much. Thanks.